0: Proverbs chapter 4, we want to start reading in the verse 20, and we'll read down through verse 23. It says, My son, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Here's why, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Now notice verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, there are different ways that the, these verses are translated in, in different translations. Here where it says, uh, my son attended to my words in verse 20. Other translations say, pay attention to my words. In other words, give attention to them or some, some variation of that. Most translations will have it that way, or at least modern translations. Uh, you know, some that, that don't use the, uh, the archaic King James type speech. Give attention, pay attention to my words. In other words, give the word of God first place. Now, how do you do that? That sounds good, and we see the benefits in verse 22, their life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. But how do you do that? Well, it tells you how. It defines how you give attention to the word. First thing it says is, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Listen to the word of God first and foremost in your life. Secondly, it says, let them not depart from before thine eyes. Other translations say, keep them before your eyes. Other translations say, don't lose sight of of what I'm saying. I like that. Don't lose sight of what I'm saying. You know, there are opportunities when, uh, when you're faced, uh, particularly with sickness and disease, there are opportunities to hear what everybody else has to say about it. The doctor may have one report. Well-meaning friends will tell you about everybody they knew that had your situation or condition and they died and never got any better or whatever the case is. I don't know why people think that helps. You know, I know somebody that had what you've got they died. Thanks for sharing. But here it says, don't lose sight of what I'm saying. In other words, keep the word of God first place in your life no matter what. Thirdly, it says, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Now, please notice what it's talking about here. It's talking about as you give attention to it, as you pay attention to the word of God, as you keep the word of God before your eyes, as you incline your ear to his sayings, it's saying the attention you give to it has something to do with its impact on your your heart. And we know that in most cases where the Bible is talking about heart, it's talking about the spirit. This is one of those cases here. The Word of God wouldn't have an impact on your physical heart unless it first had an impact on your spiritual heart. You may have some kind of heart condition or heart disease or something like that. Well, the Word of God can affect that, but it doesn't affect it directly. It affects it by first impacting your spirit. Because then it says that out of it, out of keep your heart with all diligence. Uh, let me read this to you from a couple of other translations. Uh, bah, 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 bah. One translation says... Guard your heart more than anything else. I like that. Another translation says, Above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the source of life's consequences. Above everything else, guard your heart. Let me read that again. Above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the source of life's consequences. In other words, you're going to get what comes out of your heart. And that's what it means, for out of these flow the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, are the issues of life now? This uh, really, I could uh, join on here with some things that we said this morning about spiritual forces. We know that the Bible tells us, in, and uh, uh, in several different ways, in several different places, the Bible tells us that everything that is created that we see and feel and touch and 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 smell and and hear and all this kind of stuff, everything in the physical realm was created from something that can't be seen—spiritual force. God looked into the nothingness and said, "Let there be light." He created light that we can see and receive the benefits of from something you can't see, something called words. Now, words must be containers, because you know as well as I do that if words are empty, then nothing would have happened. Even if God speaks something, if those words don't carry some kind of power, then nothing would have transpired. We know that a lot of people's words are empty. We know that some people's words are no good just as soon as they come out of their mouth, so we don't pay attention to them. But from somebody that we trust their word, somebody that we know has integrity and keeps their word, we listen to what they have to say because they'll back up what they have to say with whatever means they have. Well, God has quite a bit of means to back up his words. Words are containers, therefore. They have to be. Otherwise, light wouldn't have been formed when God spoke, let there be light. The Bible says God formed the earth, he formed the, the, the land, he formed the, the seas, he put boundaries on the sea that the sea could come no further than, than what the boundary he set. He created the living things, he created the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and so forth, and he did every bit of it with his words. He spoke things into existence. So words have to be containers. Words have to be carriers or distributors of power, at least when God speaks. Amen. Therefore, it tells us that spiritual forces, God's intent, that which came from his very essence, from his very being, which was exemplified or or demonstrated by the words that he spoke, what came from within him, from the very center of his being, his intent, his purposes, created everything that we see in the physical realm. Now, the Bible says God is a spirit. So everything that came from God is a spiritual force. Therefore, the world was created by a spiritual force. Jesus told us that spiritual forces still control this world. Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. We see that Jesus forced uh, the spirit, the forces that came from his spirit, the things that he did superseded even physical boundaries. He walked on the water. He turned water into wine. He multiplied loaves and fishes. Folks, those things can't be done naturally. But from the purpose that God sent him to accomplish from within him, he was a spirit being just like you and I are spirit beings who live in bodies just like he did from within him. He operated in a spiritual force or we could say it this way. He operated in the power of God that overcame physical boundaries, the the boundaries of physical laws. In other words, out of your heart, your spirit flow the issues of life. That's what verse 23 means. And notice what he said. Notice what the what Proverbs instructs us because spiritual forces are so important. He said, guard your heart above everything else. He didn't say, now, now realize that you're a spirit being. He didn't say, now, now I know you're busy in life, but, but give some attention to spiritual things. No, he said, guard your heart above everything else. In other words, the most important thing in the world to you should be those things that come out of your heart. Now, turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Jesus talks about the heart regarding spiritual forces. Mark chapter 11, Jesus supersedes the laws of nature once again by the exercise of a spiritual force. Let's read this. Mark chapter 11, we'll start reading in verse 12. 12. And on the morrow, when he was come from Bethany, he was hungry. This is the last week of Jesus' life. This is the, the, the passion week, so to speak. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. This is misleading in the King James. Let me explain this to you. It, forgive me for those of you that heard this before and don't need the explanation, but not everybody has. It still is this way with fig trees in uh, Israel in the Middle East today. We think of fig trees or we think of any tree as producing leaves. And then over a period of time, the buds come forth and then the fruit comes from the bud. And then it, it goes into progression like that. That's not the way a fig tree works in Israel or in the Middle East. A fig tree, the kind of figs that they have in the Middle East, as soon as the figs, as soon as the leaves come out, that's a sign that the figs are on the tree. The leaves and the figs grow together. So when Jesus sees a fig tree afar off, having leaves on it, he expected to find figs on it. Now, wouldn't it be stupid for Jesus, who is the creator of fig trees, to see a fig tree with leaves on it and say, oh, boy, I want some figs. Oh, shoot, it's the wrong time of year. Would he not know? Would he not not know how things work? When he saw the leaves, he expected to find figs on it. I've seen people be sympathetic for the fig tree. Poor old tree. I mean, it had leaves on it. It's doing its job. It had leaves. It just wasn't time for the figs yet. Now, that's not what it means. It means when Jesus saw the leaves on the tree, he expected there to be fruit on it because Jesus expects everything that he created on the earth to be fruitful, including you and me. The fig tree is a type of Israel. It looked healthy, but it didn't do anything. It didn't produce anything. So Jesus, the Bible says... Answered and said unto it. I love the way the King James brings this out. Jesus answered the tree. I didn't know the tree spoke. In fact, the tree did speak when it says, I've got leaves, but no fruit. The tree is saying, in effect, I'm not going to provide for you. I have no nothing for you, Jesus. Again, this is a type of Israel. But Jesus answers the tree and says, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. In this manner, it's just a matter of a few days before Jesus fulfills the work of the sacrifice here on the earth, and Israel is cursed, and the temple, the the veil in the temple is rent or torn from top to bottom. The priesthood ceases in just a few days from this point in time. Jesus said, no, fr- no uh, man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. He's speaking to the tree. He's answering the unfruitful circumstance. Now, folks, even though this is the type of Jesus um, going to the cross and cursing Israel and, and the, uh, the blessing of God, the, the Messiah going from Israel to the world and so forth, even though it has a, an application regarding Israel, the principle is still the same, and that is you have a right to speak to the unfruitful circumstances in your life. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. Well, one of the works that he did was cursed, unfruitful circumstances. Jesus put an end to this tree that didn't produce fruit. In the same way, we should put an end to the unfruitful circumstances that the devil is operating through in our lives against us. Don't put up with stuff that the devil's doing. Amen. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Notice Jesus is talking to the tree. He's not talking to God about the tree, which is what a lot of people are doing. A lot of people are praying, Oh, Lord, let this be taken from me. Lord, why do you let this happen? Lord, aren't you going to do anything about this problem in my life? What are you going to do about it? Jesus did not hit a knee and say, Oh, Father. Jesus looks at the tree and answers the tree. He speaks to the problem. And says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So he must have said it loud enough for others to hear. Now we'll skip ahead to verse 20. It says, and in the morning, next morning, in other words, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. In other words, the thing Jesus said came to pass overnight. There had to be power behind his words. The words Jesus spoke were were like poison to the tree, but not anything like we know of natural poison because that would have taken a long time for it to work through the tree. Now this tree is dried up from the roots. I don't know how to describe a tree dried up from the roots any other way than to say maybe it looked like it had been struck by lightning. You ever seen a tree that struck by lightning? It doesn't wither away and die little by little by little. It is dead immediately. The electrical charge that goes through the tree saps the life, whatever life there was in the tree and it is gone, it is dead, it is scorched, that's it. Usually it splits trees in half, and the, the part that's still standing is just nothing except a charred mess. Did it look like that? I don't know. But I like the example or like the the, the thought that Jesus' words had the same impact as lightning has on a tree from the from something that we have experienced with, or at least at least something that we've seen before. It affected the tree just as if lightning had struck it. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And and Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. I'm sure that was big news to Jesus. Peter, it's almost like Peter is saying, hey, Jesus, remember yesterday you talked to that tree. Now, that says two things to me. That says one thing. The first thing it says is that Jesus did not spend all night talking about what's going to happen to the tree. He's not confessing over and over, I believe the tree's dead. 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 In Jesus' name, no, that's me. I believe the tree's dead. See, so many times people think it's the, the number of times they keep saying it that makes the difference. Jesus said it once. It may take you and me more times than that to say something. But you can get to the place where it's so real to you that it just takes one, takes once. In my opinion, most of our confession is to get the word established in our heart and then one time that we say it, it comes to pass. I don't believe it's the saying of something over and over and over again that does it. The saying of something over and over again may solidify it within us, but then once it's there, it coming our mouth, out of our mouth one time gets the job done. That's just me. Peter calling you remember it said master behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away and Jesus answering said unto them yes this is proof that I'm the son of God. I'm sorry I keep making the same jokes about this over and over again but I'm trying to make the point and sooner or later for some people it'll sink in Jesus is not saying he did this because he's special. He's not saying he did this because he has some special power that nobody else has. He's not saying this because he is the son of God or has some special relationship with God that you and I can't have. Jesus said, have faith in God. In other words, faith is the way I did this. Now, the implied subject of the sentence, the understood subject of the sentence is you. He didn't say, yeah, I have faith in God. He says it in a way that they can understand that they can do the same thing. And the reason we know this is because Jesus explains how it works. Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever, that means somebody other than him, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, notice this phrase, and shall not doubt in his heart. Now remember what we just read over in uh, Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Out of your heart flow the issues of life. Guard your heart more than anything else, for it is the source of life's consequences, the complete Jewish Bible says. In other words, spiritual forces come from your heart that will change things either for the positive or the negative. And that's why you have to guard your heart. You've got to make sure that only things that you desire uh, are the things that come out of your heart produce positive consequences for your life. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, notice it's talking about what you say, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Now, without going into a lot of detail about what doubting in your heart is, it it does not say not doubt in your mind. Doubt of the mind is different than doubt of the heart. Doubt of the mind is something the enemy will bring to you to try to influence the the actions and the activities of your heart. He tries to influence the issues of your heart with doubt in your mind doubt in the heart are those influences that we have accepted from the enemy or anything that contradicts the word of God and allow them to come out of our mouths in other words the difference between doubt in your mind and doubt in your heart is what you're saying you can have doubt in your mind you can be saying my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory and have a mind full of doubt and it still works But as soon as you say, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory, boy, I sure hope this works. That's doubt of the heart. Doubt of the heart. Any issues of the heart, whether it's positive, the positive force of faith, or the negative force of doubt, any issue of the heart is controlled by your words. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life. Guard your words, in other words. You've got to make sure that your words are in line with what God said because God's words are containers of power. The devil's words don't contain power. They just gum up God's power. They short-circuit God's power. So when you say those, you're short-circuiting the power of God. You empty God's container of power, in other words. Have faith in God for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe must be believing in the heart. If He's talking about not doubting in your heart. He must be talking about believing in your heart. But shall believe in his heart. That means his words are in line with what he believes or what he desires. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith. Please notice that Jesus is saying you've got to understand and have faith in the principle of your words coming to pass. What are we supposed to believe in our heart? That those things which we saith will come to pass. Now how can we believe that, pastor Mike? Because Jesus said that's the way it works. Yeah, but I don't have any physical evidence to prove that. That's why it takes faith of the heart. Faith of the heart is faith in the unseen, not faith in the seen. The devil operates through doubt in the mind based on things that you see or hear or feel or so forth. Faith of the heart comes from a source other than what you can see and hear and feel and so forth. Well, where is the source of that knowledge? What is the source of that knowledge that we're supposed to operate in faith by the word of God? And God said, this is the principle of faith. If you believe in your heart and say with your mouth, it will come to pass. That's what you have to believe. I'm convinced that it doesn't work for some people because they're just trying to say words. They don't have any faith that what they say will really come to pass. They're saying it to see if it will come to pass. And after a period of time, they'll give up and they'll say, well, that confession stuff doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work if you don't believe that your words will come to pass. So it's not just saying something. It's not just the words themselves that carry power. There's got to be a spiritual force behind those words that activate the power of God to change things. And remember, Jesus said about this thing called faith that he just defined. He said, all things are possible to him that believeth. Believe what? Well, here's one thing he said to believe. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. Then he'll have whatever he says. And the person that does that, all things are possible to him. Now, what does all things are possible mean? Does it mean, well, most things are possible? Well, things that are within the will of God are possible. Well, how are you supposed to ascertain the will of God if not through the word of God? God's word is his will. And Bible faith is based on his word. Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How are you going to know the will of God other than seeing what the word says belongs to us? Healing would be one of those. Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. So there's no question about the will of God on that. I know there's a question in a lot of people's minds, but there's no question as far as God's concerned that he settled the issue. And you have the opportunity to believe it. It's not a requirement. You can die sick if you want to. Put it like that and people shy back from that, don't they? But that's exactly what they say without coming out and saying the words. It's up to you. God won't force you. He still lets you into heaven. If you die with cancer, God's happy to see you as soon as you come in the gates anyway. You just might come in early. It's up to you. It's not a requirement. But it's a privilege. It's an opportunity to believe everything that the Bible says belongs to you. And the Bible says, whatever you believe is what you're going to have if you don't doubt in your heart. In other words, if you guard your words or guard your heart and guard those issues of life, if you guard your words and make sure that the only thing that you say is in line with what God says. You know, that's one of the hardest things in the world. I mean, really, it's not, but people, the way people operate in it, it must be hard to, to most people. And I know there's a real struggle I know that when I first got started in these things over, uh, well, 36 years ago now, I know when I first got started in things, it was the hardest thing in the world for me not to talk about my problem. I was so used to it. I was so accustomed to telling everybody that would listen what my problems were. How you doing? Oh, man, you, you got a minute? Let me tell you. And none of it was ever good. Now, I was saved. I was spirit-filled. But, boy, I had a problem and, and it, somehow or another, it was ingrained in me that if I could share that problem, it'd make it better. And it never did. Never helped to tell anybody anything. Only thing it did is making them avoid me the next time they saw me. But it never helps. But why do people think that it's going to help some way or another? You know what I've learned? I learned this many years later. I, I actually learned it from Brother Hagen. Brother Hagin said, don't ever share anything with anybody that can't be a part of the answer. I thought, man, that's good. I wish I'd known that. 10 years before. Now, he was talking about telling people things that you're believing God for. In Bible school, it was so funny. People were learning, bless their hearts, we were all learning, trying to understand the basics of faith, and people were believing for tuition, believing for rent money and whatever. And you just say, hi, how are you doing, just being casual. You learn to not do that after, you know, pretty quickly. But you just ask somebody, how are you doing, they tell you what they're believing for. I'm leaving God for $100 and they'd look at you real close to make sure that, that, you know, had a chance to hear from God if it was you that was supposed to give it to them. And there was a lot of manipulation that was going on that people was calling faith. James said it this way. He says, hast thou faith? Have it to yourself and then to God. I like what God said to Job when he, when he showed up. Bless Job's heart. <laughs> Man, did he learn a lesson. He has to defend himself against other well-meaning people telling him that he's the problem. He said, no, I didn't do anything. He was right. He didn't do anything wrong. But sooner or later, because of the the conversation, the the conversation went on long enough to where Job started blaming God. He said, I started off saying, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. And he was exactly right. But then sooner or later, he said, no, it's not my fault. And because it's not my fault, God must be the one at fault. Well, that didn't last for very long because God showed up and said, Job. You idiot. Where were you when I created the world? I love one thing he said. He said, if I was hungry, what I tell you. You that's justifying yourself and presenting yourself as the just one and me as the evil one. If I was hungry, what I tell you, what would you do about it? I love that. I love that. I've adopted that attitude over the years. For that reason, over the last 35, 36 years, I've never turned in a prayer request. To anybody. Because nobody could possibly be as interested in me getting my prayers answered as me. Now, I may get you to agree with me about something, particularly where the church is concerned, but I'm talking about for me. I'm turning a prayer request for 36 years and won't turn in one for the next 36. Because I'm going to do my own praying. Nobody's going to hear, God's not going to hear anybody else quicker than he's going to hear me about my situation because nobody could be as fervent about my situation as I am. That's all right to get people to agree with us and things like that. But a lot of prayer requests are just turned in so that people know what a hard time you're having. And that doesn't do any good. I like to keep the things I'm believing for between me and God. That's when, that's what, the reason why is because when they come to pass, I can know that it was God and only God and He's the only one that had any knowledge of it. And if He used somebody else to help me the, uh, bring it about or, or get it to me, then it was between them and Him and they'll know it's a great blessing because nobody else knew. And I just think that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, again, the Bible says, is any sick among you, meaning is any of you beyond doing anything for yourself, which implies we should do something for ourselves first. We should make the attempt to contact God on our own for our own personal situation, even when it's sickness. But if you get to the place where you're beyond uh, being able to do it for yourself and uh, obtain your healing for yourself, then call for the elders of the church, get other people to help you. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not instead of you doing your own part. So I don't tell anybody anything if they can't be part of the answer. And God's honored that for me. He's honored that over the last 36 years. I can't tell you of a personal thing that I've uh, prayed for that I haven't gotten an answer for in 36 years. Now, there were some mistakes I made in prayer. There were things where I just prayed something out of my head and not out of my heart. But I'm talking about something that was really serious and something that I prayed according to the Word. I have not failed to get an answer for me personally in 36 years. Now, you may think, you may look at me and say, well, yeah, what about that thing with your hand? I've got an answer for that. You may not like what you see, but I've got an answer for it, and me and God are just fine with this. And don't you interpret that to mean I'm satisfied with the way things are and it will always be this way. It will not. But I've got my answer. By faith, I've got my answer. So I can tell you what's worked for me for 36 years. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. In other words, he's talking about an operation of the heart, the operation of the spirit shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart. That those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Do you believe what you say will come to pass? I'll tell you what, when people start believing that, they change the way they talk. And I'm convinced that the reason some people talk the way that they do is they don't have faith in their words. They don't have the import they don't see the importance of guarding their words. They don't recognize that, that letting their words slip is uh, the same as not guarding their spirits. And so they release or let down their defenses, we should say, I guess. They let down their defenses and say whatever they feel, say whatever comes to their mind. But your words are what governs your situation. You may not think your words are governing your situation because your situation isn't changing. But if that's the case, check up on what you're saying. Because the principle of faith is true, whether it works to the positive or the negative, you are having what you are saying. If you don't like what you got, change what you're saying. Now, without question, it takes it takes a period of time for the word of God to settle on the inside of you. Let's take that uh, Proverbs 423 again. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. What does the Bible say about the issues of life or the issues of your heart? What does it say? Well, one thing it says is that faith is of the heart. Faith is a spiritual force that we should operate in to change circumstances. Faith is also a spiritual force that we should use to change ourselves. Remember, Jesus talked about having faith when it comes to forgiving others. Peter comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter eight, uh, Matthew chapter 17, I guess it is. Peter comes to Jesus and said, Master, how many times should I forgive my brother if he comes and sins against me? Seven times in a day. Jesus said, no, seven times 70. And Peter, well, not just Peter, it says the apostles were astonished and said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, there's one thing they got right about this. They understood that you forgave by faith and not by feelings. And that's when Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd say to the sycamore tree, be uprooted by the, sea, by the roots and uh, cast into the sea, and it should obey you. In other words, he's saying forgiveness. You changing yourself where forgiveness is concerned operates in the same principle of faith that you receiving from God concern, is concerned. It works the same way. So many times I was talking to somebody just this morning. They came to me and they said, Pastor Mike, I'm having a problem. I'm trying to put away things of the past, but those memories keep coming back. I've forgiven, but those things that that were done to me, the things that people did wrong, keep coming up. And so what does that mean? Does that mean I haven't forgiven? I said, no, here's how it works. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a decision you decide, you choose to make the decision that you forgive. But that doesn't change the fact that the memories are going to come. The way you act on that forgiveness is whenever those memories come, whenever the thoughts of those individuals or what they did to you or whatever the case is come to your mind, that's when you have to act on the forgiveness and start praying for them, praying the blessings of God upon them. Now, you do that over a period of time. The devil will quit bringing those memories to you. But generally what happens with folks is they'll say, I forgive, because they know they're supposed to. But then when the memories come, it stirs up feelings, and they start thinking about the feelings. They start dwelling on the feelings, and so the feelings just grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the next time the thought comes of what they did to them, it comes stronger than it did the last time, and over a period of time, they've even forgotten the idea of forgiveness. They've just said, well, I've tried my best, and I don't guess it can be done. But what they're doing is they're trying to operate according to feelings instead of the Word of God. Jesus said, pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. So if you're going to really act on forgiveness, the forgiveness that you say you've given to somebody, you're going to have to pray blessings upon them instead of think about how wrong they were to do what they did. Well, that's a spiritual force too. And it's interesting that Jesus, we're still here in Mark chapter 11, Jesus says in verse 24 about the prayer of faith, he said, Therefore, I say unto you, because faith works by believing in the heart and saying with the mouth, in verse 23, verse 24, he said, Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. He's talking about that spiritual force of faith. He's saying in verse 23, faith works by speaking. Verse 24, faith works in prayer. Well, you can't pray without speaking, can you? I mean, even if you say something inside, you're still saying it. So faith works by your words, whether it's in wor- words uh, spoken in prayer or whether it's words spoken to the situation. Jesus didn't pray about the fig tree, as we said before. He spoke to the situation. But he said the same principle of faith works in prayer. But the principle of faith in prayer works according like this. When you pray, when, when, meaning timing, when you pray, that's when you believe that you receive it, not when you see it. You believe that you receive it when you pray, and then you will have it. Which means there's a process of time between the prayer the prayer and the having. Now, that can be a short period of time. It can be a long period of time. Jesus didn't say, believe you, you, receive it for 30 days and you'll have it. He didn't say, believe you, receive it for 10 minutes and it'll come to pass. Wouldn't that have been nice? Would have a lot of strong people if you only had to believe for 10 minutes. He didn't say how long it's going to be. Sometimes it might be shorter and other times it might be longer. But he's, the principle is still the same. What things, soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, notice verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against anyone. Now, why is he talking about forgiveness? Because it's related to faith, too. Forgiveness is related to faith, too. We just talked about Mark chapter 17. The disciples, Jesus said, forgive your brother 490 times a day if necessary. Seven times seven, that's 490, isn't he? 490 times a day that means somebody doing it on purpose 490 times a day now folks i would recommend that you get a new friend if that's the case i mean you'd have to work hard to to offend somebody 490 times in a day wouldn't you is there enough time in a day to do that i know some people that would be able if there was just enough time so i think jesus is using an unreasonable number to say no matter what the number is no matter what happens here's the way that it works you forgive through making a choice, but then after that, when the thoughts come, that's when you pray blessings. Pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, there's without a doubt, it takes time for the word of God to sink down into your hearts. Wouldn't it be nice if the first time we heard it, we got it? Man, that'd be wonderful. I know some people that must think that because of the way they operate some folks are in it for just a little short period of time and they think they're spiritual giants. You know, it's an amazing thing. I'm uh, uh I'm older now. I want say how old uh, am I? 50 born born in 55. What am I? Uh I guess I'm 58. Yeah, I'll be 59 in, in wow, 59. I'll be 58 in uh I'll be 59 in November. I'm 58 years old. And you know what? Now that I'm a little bit older, I've been walking with God for 36 years, pursuing God as far as the Word is concerned. I've been saved since I was uh, just before I was six years old, or while I was six years old, just before I turned seven. So I've been I've been uh, in the family of God for 52 years, almost 50, almost 53. But I've been pursuing the the Word of God, putting the Word first place for 36 years. Now I can tell you, after 36 years of walking with God and and putting the Word on, of God on the inside of me. I'm not nearly as impressed with myself now as I was 36 years ago. Man, when I first started getting the word, and especially when I first started getting around Brother Hagin, I thought I had this stuff whipped. I had heard just about everything Brother Hagin ever said. I'd listened day and night. I'm putting tapes in. I'm being around him all day long in healing school every day on crusades. I mean, I'm in the word hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. I've got a pretty good memory anyway. And so I thought, yeah, I've got this stuff. Bless my darling heart i knew nothing i'd heard a lot but there's a big difference in what you hear and what you know really when it comes down to it what you know is what you live that may not be good news to everybody but what you know comes down to what you live not what you've heard james said be a hearer be a doer of the word and not a hearer only which means you can hear a lot and not do it. And that's the case that I was in. That was the situation I was in. I heard a lot of things and and bless my heart, here I am working with Brother Hagen on Crusades and people are coming to me with real, real problems. And I'm embarrassed to look back at how young I was and how immature I was to just flippantly give people an answer that I knew was true from the Word. Because I had no life experience. Didn't know beans about the real situations and, and and hurting situations with family members and stuff like that. People with kids and, and things that people were going through. I had no no real experience, no compassion to me at all about that. By the way, let me let me say this. This is implying an apology to anybody that knew me back then. I was just stupid. Didn't know I was stupid. Thought I was wise. Isn't it an amazing thing how you grow up and you learn? At least some people do. I'm glad to say that I'm learning. I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. I still don't think I'm at, at the same spiritual place that I thought I was 36 years ago. I mean, I was really impressed with myself because I knew a lot. And in reality, I didn't know anything. And the reason for that is because it takes a while for the Word of God to sink down on the inside of you. It takes a while for the Word of God to take root. Some trees grow up quick, But then in a big storm, they fall over. Other trees grow slow and strong. God wants slow and strong growing trees. He expects you to grow little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept. Let me tell you a story. Brother Hagin uh, was, um, uh, this was back in the uh, 60s, I guess it was. Um, He was in a meeting somewhere in a certain place in, uh, in the south. And uh, he was actually, he was going, finishing one meeting, going to another meeting, and uh, Aretha was with him. They had uh, the kids in uh, school, uh, uh, off-site school type thing, so they weren't traveling with him at the time. So it was just him and his wife traveling. And uh, um, they had been, in, just finished a meeting that was like three or four weeks long, something like that, a longer meeting, and, um, and Aretha had, uh, had lost weight. And uh, they were they were getting dressed for service. And and so Brother Hagin said, honey, are you losing weight? You look skinny. I mean, she'd always been real small. But he said, you you look like you've lost weight. Well, normally that would be good news for for somebody, I guess. But she said, well, I don't know. I hadn't really noticed. And he said, I'm just sure of it. So they got over to the parsonage after the service was over and found out that the that the uh, pastor's wife had uh, had one of these scales or medical scales or whatever it was in in the bathroom. And so uh, uh, Brother Hagin had said something about it. And, and the pastor's wife said well i've got a scale in here come on with me aretha let's see so anyway she lost 10 pounds over just a short period of time normally that's not anything to be concerned about that would like i said be good news for some people but because of uh but because of the the way she was built and the, the frame she had and so forth brother Hagen was concerned about it he said well, okay well honey he said why don't we do this he said i'm going to new york next why don't we swing back by home and let you stay home and let you go get checked out. You can go see the doctor at home or whatever it is and, and make sure everything's all right. This is a, just a week-long meeting in New York, so you won't be missing much anyway. You could use the rest, and, and so we'll just do it like that. So they decided to do it like that. Well, he gets in this meeting in New York, and it's just been a couple of days uh, after having started, and uh, and the Lord um, uh, prompted and He was laying across the bed in the afternoon, and he said the Lord spoke to him real strongly. He said it seemed like an audible voice to him. He said, get up and call your wife and tell her to go see the internist, right now she had made an appointment to uh to see somebody she'd gone to the general practitioner and he said well there's somebody else i want you to see and so he'd scheduled an appointment with the internist it was supposed to be uh, sometime over the next few days or whatever and the lord spoke to him and said tell your wife to go to uh, uh to go to the internist see the internist right now well brother hagan said having come up through the depression he didn't make long distance phone calls and so he's thinking well it's in the afternoon if i wait till after five o'clock it'll be cheaper None of of you have ever argued with God about doing anything. I know this is unfamiliar territory for most people, but that's what he did. And so he's laying there on the bed, and after a couple of minutes, the Lord spoke to him, and he said it almost shook the room. At least that's the way it seemed to him. He said, go call your wife now and tell her to go see the internist. Her life's in danger. So he goes, picks up the phone, makes a long-distance collect call talks to his wife and says, honey, the Lord's just spoken to me. He says, you're supposed to go see the internist right now. Well, there's a little bit of a time difference, but it was still early enough in the afternoon where she could get to the internist's office, went right into the internist's office, found out. The internist said later on that she was within 10 minutes of losing her life. So they had to perform an emergency surgery on her. The, you know, told, called Brother Hagen later on in the evening or whatever it was, and told him what was going on. Here's what the doctor recommends, and said, well, yeah, do whatever we need to do. Brother Hagen prayed, didn't get any answer from the Lord, but he knows the Lord had alerted him to this situation. Told him to go to the doc, told her to go to the doctor about this thing. So he said, "Well, go ahead and let the doctor do whatever he said he's going to do." So they did. They had some kind of procedure and put her on some kind of medication. And uh, and Brother Hagen said that really troubled him. I mean, here he is preaching faith and healing and 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 his wife going with him on crusades and church meetings and other things that he had scheduled. And, and, uh, and, and here they wound up having to go to the doctor. You know, I mean, that, that seems like a defeat in many cases. At least if you let the devil talk you into it, it sounds like a defeat. But if you learn not to listen to the devil and just follow the leading of God, God will save your life. And so anyway, time goes by. She starts taking this medication. She's on the road with him, and so she's taking this medication every day. About a year and a half later, they're in a meeting, one of Brother Hagin's meetings, just out of the blue. Nothing was said to her or anything, but the Lord spoke to her heart and said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And she said, from that moment, she said, I knew I'd received my healing from this thing. So Brother Hagin noticed over the next couple of days that she stopped taking her or wasn't taking her medication. He was used to her routine, you know. She'd take it at a certain time in the morning, certain time in the evening. He saw that she wasn't taking it, and so he said to her, he said something to her. He said, honey, I notice you're not taking your medication. What's wrong? She said, nothing's wrong. I'm healed. He said, well, what do you mean you're healed? She said, well, a couple of days ago during the service, the Lord spoke to me and said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I don't need the medication anymore. Well, he got kind of concerned. It's one thing to believe God for yourself. But it's another thing to see somebody else believe in God. You want to make sure that they're on the right track, you know? So he said, well, honey, are you sure? Maybe we should take it until we get back home, and then you can go back to see the interns. She said, no, Kenneth, I told you I'm healed. I don't need that stuff. Well, okay. Goes back to the doctor. The doctor says, whatever the problem was, uh, you know, the, the situation that, it, that existed before is completely gone. There's no trace of it. She certainly don't need the medication anymore. You're fine. Now, here's the question. Why didn't she get that 18 months before? Instead of the Lord saying, go tell your wife, call your wife and tell her to go to the internist right now. Her life's in danger. Why didn't the Lord speak to Brother Hagin and say, tell your wife, I am the Lord that healeth thee and everything's fine. Or even better yet, why didn't he speak to her, to Aretha, in the meeting that they had back in the other part of the country before they ever got to, to New York, before he ever got to New York, so that the weight gain wouldn't have even occurred? Now, Lord, that's the way I'd want it to work. Bless our hearts. Folks, I've got to tell you, there's a lot of people imposed, trying to impose their will and missing the leading of God. And there's so many things that we judge from the outside. So many things we look at and we think, well, I don't know why the word didn't work in there. I, I had somebody come tell me just uh, a week or so ago, maybe it's two weeks ago. Somebody came up to me and they're in a real serious situation. It's something that you would recognize they're, they're, uh, uh, you know, that, that something is wrong. And he came to me and he said, Pastor Mike, he said, I want you to know something. He said, I don't know if anybody ever tells you this kind of stuff. And I expect to have a testimony that, that everybody's going to hear one of these days. But he said, with the condition that I have, The doctor said that I'll never be able to to perform certain activities. And he said, but I want you to know that every day when I get up, I do the very things that the doctor says I can't do. And I can't do it for very long. But I'm already doing it, and it's going longer and longer each day. He said, the word's working in me. Even though nobody knows it, and you wouldn't be able to tell it from the outside, he said, I just wanted you to know the word is working in me. Yeah, but so many of us would look from the outside and say, oh, bless their hearts. I wonder why God doesn't do something in this situation and he's working all the time. My son attended to my words. Wouldn't it be nice if the Bible says if you will do something for so long in such a manner, then that'll be the it, and you'll never that'll be the end of it, and you'll never have to bother with it ever again. I, for one, would like that. I'm just gonna be honest enough to say so. I think we'd all like that, wouldn't we? But the reality is the Bible doesn't give us any time frame. The only time frame that the Bible puts on faith is believe that you receive when you pray. It says you shall have it, which uh, which implies that the answer will come. But the only thing that the Bible says about time is to believe that you receive when you pray. The only when in the Bible is when you pray. After that, it's a matter of guarding your heart because the issues of life flow from it. Now, I for one can say that there are some things that aren't working as fast as I'd like them to work, for me and for you. Does that affect anything? Does that make a bit of difference? Not one bit. It's just something the devil tries to use to, to, to distract you and take you away from the truth. It's something he uses to try to, try, to try to bring doubt into your mind, to influence you, to let it come out of your mouth, to change things that are really taking place and working. We're so time-oriented. Well, why? We've got eternity to believe God. I don't know about you, but I'm going to believe God when I get to heaven. I'm going to believe God in order to get to heaven. I'm going to believe God now, and I'm going to believe God in eternity. So what difference does it make? Believe now, believe then. Who cares? Sometimes it's greater faith to hold fast the profession of your faith over a longer period of time than it is to believe for a shorter period of time. It may not be the way we like it. But it doesn't change the fact. That my words are life unto those that find them. And health to all their flesh. Health to all their flesh. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Let me close with this. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, notice in, uh, well, let's just start reading in verse 9. It says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. He's talking about being born again. So the context that Paul's talking about being in the flesh versus being in the spirit, he's talking about if you're saved, then as far as God's concerned, you're in the spirit. Now, you may not be walking in the spirit. You may not be accessing spiritual forces. You may not be partaking of everything that belongs to you because of the life of God that's in you. But as far as God's concerned, you're in the spirit. Now, this is not the same phrase that John talks about on the day on the Lord's day when he was praying that he was in the spirit and saw the revelation. What we know of is the book of Revelation. That's not the, the phrase in the spirit that he's talking about here. He's talking about being in Christ. Being in the Christ is in the spirit because the Holy Ghost dwells in you. And that's what he's saying. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, verse 10, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So he's talking about salvation, right? Now, in that context, the Holy Ghost indwelling us. Notice what he says in verse 11. But if the Spirit of Christ... Or the spirit of him that raised up Jesus. Now there, let me stop and say this. There are four Greek words that are translated if. In other words, there are four tenses of the word if in the New Testament. The first tense or the first case is this word that's used here as well as many other places in the scripture. And the word really should be translated since. It means if and we know that you are. If you are and we know that you are type thing. So it would, in our normal language, we would say since. Because it's already an established fact. It's conditional, but you've met the conditions, so it's an established fact. So here it says, but since the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. How many of you are in Christ? Well, he's talking about you then. So since you've met the conditions, if or since the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Let me ask you a question. The only condition in this verse is the if, meaning if you're in Christ. If you've met that condition, what can stop this from taking place? See, most times people read scriptures and they have to try to convince themselves or try to convince themselves to, to, uh, to not listen to the, to the work of the enemy. Maybe, let me say it this way. Most scriptures we read, the devil tries to talk you out of thinking that's yours. And so the struggle is against our own mind, our own thinking, the influence of the devil in our thoughts or in our thought life so that we say, well, yeah, I guess that could belong to me. There's no could to it. He's saying something definitive. He's saying because the Holy Ghost lives in you, he quickens or makes alive your mortal body. Now, what would he make alive your mortal body from if not sickness? What need is there to make alive your mortal body if it's not sick? I mean, we could, we could split hairs and say, well, God will renew your strength and renew your youth. Okay, that's great. I'm all for that. So that would be a part of the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. But can we not agree that the most urgent or the most needful quickening power of the Holy Ghost for those that are sick is to be well? And what could he possibly mean that would exclude that important feature? Since the Spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he that raised christ from the dead the holy spirit shall quicken shall quicken shall quicken there is no stronger terminology you can use shall quicken or make alive your mortal body by his spirit that lives in you well that's what i want pastor mike well what are you saying guard your heart with all diligence guard your heart above everything else for out of it flow the source of life's consequences one translation says I want the spirit of God to quicken my mortal body. Well, what am I saying then? Am I saying that's what's happening? Or am I just waiting for something to happen? And say, oh, let's give glory to God. Well, how do you think it's going to happen if it's not through your words? Jesus said the spiritual force of faith is what takes hold of the things of God. What are you saying? I don't know about you, but I'm saying the Spirit of God is quickening my mortal body day by day by day by day by day. I say it every morning. You've seen any results, Pastor Mike? That has nothing to do with what I believe. Wouldn't matter one way or the other. I don't even want to answer. Wouldn't matter. Because if I did see results and thought it was working because I saw results, that's not faith. At least it's not Bible faith. And if I am saying it every day, but I don't see results and I get discouraged, that's not Bible faith either. Bible faith is to believe what God said and to accept the power of the word is the final word on the subject. Let me read it again. But if or since the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Is there anything that can make the Holy Ghost leave you? The Bible speaks of one exception, one thing and one thing only in Hebrews chapter six. And folks, let me tell you, you ain't there yet. If you have any concern about it whatsoever, that's proof positive, it's not you. I'm not ever worried about getting there because I want to stay as close to God as I can. I'm not worried about ful- fulfilling the qualifications of the unpardonable sin. But the reality is if the Holy Ghost ever leaves you, he's gone for good and that's it, you're toast. And because it's such a rare occasion, such a rare thing, an exception to the rule, that's why Paul says by the Holy Ghost, he shall quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. In other words, the spirit of God dwells in you, so it's impossible for him not to quicken your mortal body, except if you're not guarding your heart, if you're not guarding the issues of your heart. In other words, you can stop his work by letting your spiritual defenses down. But that's the only way. Outside of that, it's the only thing. I got to tell you something, folks, and I, 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 um, well, I'm just going to tell you the way it is. Over the last several months, I've had an awakening. I think a lot of it is because of some of the stuff I'm praying and have been praying for a long time. But it has... um, Well, it was the Spirit of God that reminded me how long I've been following and and putting the things of God first and and so forth. And it doesn't have to do with how long I've been saved. I got saved as a kid and didn't know anything about the Word. But in 1978, I started finding out about who we are in Christ and began to pursue it. Now, it took me about a year, not quite a year, but almost a year, nine, ten months maybe, to to really, from the time that I heard it, to really buy in and and make it the, the, the sole focus of my life. But for those last not quite 36 years at this point, I put the word of God first. And it's it's a funny thing because I've been reading for 36, uh, 35 years, 35 and a half years. I've been reading the Bible as if there was something I was trying to attain. Like, for example, I'd see Proverbs chapter four. My son attended my words and I think, oh, yeah, I need to do that. Incline your ear into my sayings. I need to listen more. Let them not depart from before your eyes. You know, I got to keep the word of God in sight more than I do. Keep your heart with all diligence. Yeah, yeah, I need to do that more. And over the last several months, I've started reading the word and realizing I'm doing every bit of that. And as a result, the word has come alive to me in a way that it hadn't been alive in a, since the first time I heard it. It's not a matter of, okay, I'm trying to make this happen. I'm trying to make this happen. And I've been doing this for, for years, since 1978. I've been doing this. I'd be around Brother Hagin and only inside of me I know I need to listen to more. I need to, to, to be in the word more. I need to meditate more. I need to speak in tongues more. I need to do all these things more. And it was almost like a, a ritual thing. It was almost like a works thing. I need to do it as much as I can, much as I can, much as I can. But folks, I got to tell you, you can't follow God anymore than i followed God for 36 years. And I don't know why it's just occurred to me, but it has just occurred to me. Nobody said I was the smartest guy around. But I see things that the Bible says in Proverbs. I've been reading a chapter of Proverbs a day for years. And now it's alive to me like it's never been before. Because I'm seeing things in the book of Proverbs where it talks about wisdom does this, those that put wisdom first in their lives, and I'm seeing that. And it's not a a matter anymore of trying to put wisdom first. It's a matter of, wait a minute, I'm doing that. I have been doing that. I've been doing that forever. And I'm starting to see some of the benefits that it says that wisdom has. And it's like, that's mine. Hey, Lord, you seeing this? This is mine. This is what I've done. And it's giving me a confidence that I have never had. And with along with that confidence comes a boldness. I'm praying stuff. I'm hearing myself. I pray in tongues for a while, and then I'll pray up some things out in English, and I'll hear myself pray, and I'll think, my God, what did I just say? Because it's like I'm getting in God's face about some stuff. Lord, you're hearing this, don't you? You see what this says. Your word says. It's It's like I'm standing up for my rights. Now, it's not because God's withholding anything. He never was. It's like I'm finally seeing it. Well, I've been praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him since forever. And it's like, well, son of a gun, it's really working. My son attended to my words. My son attended to my words. Now, folks, I don't expect it to take you 36 years to figure out that that's what you're doing. I hope you get it a lot sooner than I did. Because I can see that I've been in the place that I am now. I have been for a long time and could have made a claim on some things that I hadn't, hadn't thought to do. But it was always me trying to, trying to work, trying to make it better with God, trying to get better with God, trying to get in a better place, trying to get something more, trying to be spiritually stronger, trying to, trying to do this, trying to do, and folks, it's all the word. It's not you. It's not me. Spiritual strength has nothing to do with me other than making a decision to put the word first. That's what spiritual strength is you feel any stronger no nope. but i have a lot more confidence i have a lot more boldness i can see things that are that i can see things coming to pass now i mean uh, well i don't know how to say this um i can see myself doing things that before just seemed like a dream but now they're becoming real haven't happened yet but i'm starting to see them on the inside and i think god always works on the inside before he works on the outside I think he starts talking to you from the within before he starts talking to you about other things. I'm seeing things about the Holy Ghost. I'm seeing about the Holy Ghost being the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality that guides you into all reality, all truth. I'm getting things from the Holy Ghost that I've never gotten before. Why? Because the word is true. I'm not doing anything different. I've just changed my attitude about what belongs to me. And I wanted to take me 36 years. Not quite, but almost. I wish I had an answer for that. Why did it take Aretha 18 months before she heard from the Lord, I'm the Lord that healeth thee? I don't know. Things take time, I guess. But for me, I'm entering into a new era. I'm entering into a new phase. I'm entering into, uh, I don't know what I'm entering into, but man, it's good. I've got a confidence in the word that I've never had before. My son attended to my words. Attended to my words. What about you? You've been attending to his words? You got promises from God then? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you, Father, that your word is working mightily in us. We thank you, Father, that your words are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality. You guide us into all truth, into all reality. You show us things to come. Oh, thank you, Father, for the wonderful day that you've chosen for us to live. The days of the church of glory. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are quickening our mortal body because you live in us, because you dwell in us. You are quickening daily our mortal flesh, driving sickness and disease from us. We thank you, Father, that our days will be like days of heaven on earth because we put your word first. Free from the law of sin and death. Governed by the law of life in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. That your word is quick and powerful, full of life and power and sharper than any two edged sword, dividing between soul, the things that we think and spirit, that which we believe. Thank you, Father. That we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Christ has redeemed us. From the curse of the law. We are not under the curse. But the blessing of Abraham is ours. The blessing of healing. The blessing of prosperity. The blessing of God. We thank you Father. Nothing is impossible to us. Because we believe. Nothing is impossible with us. Because we believe your word. And your word carries power. Your word spoken from our heart. Are the issues of life and changes life's circumstances. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness in Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being with us.